I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and I spent a lot of time here in Southern Missouri. And when I was in high school, God called me to travel to to be um, in ministry, and that had been what I what I always wanted to do, what I knew I was going to do from the time I was 14 years old. After I graduated from Bible college, I started to travel and preach as an evangelist, and I just thought I was going to travel and preach till the day I died. The only thing I wanted to do for my whole life was to preach the word and to see people get saved. Um, how many of you know God is not willing that any should perish and everyone come to repentance? Amen. And, and so that just that was the thing that kept me up at night. That was the thing that I cried about the most. And as I was traveling and preaching, I started to get a burden on my heart for Hollywood. And, I, you know, I would go to retreats and camps and stuff like that and preach and see students get their lives rocked by God. And I'm so thankful for camps and retreats. Like, growing up, my life got rocked by God at those events, right? Can anybody testify if you've ever been to a camp or retreat? It's an amazing experience. But what I was seeing is that after camp retreat, and I was guilty of this too until later in life, these students were going back home, and for a couple weeks they would ride a high, right, from camp retreat, and then they'd be sucked back in, right back into this culture of immorality and death and wickedness. And we're surrounded by it every single day, in particular movies and TV shows. And so I started to see that, and I started to pray and ask God, God, I don't just want your love to be experienced at camp. I, I, I know that you want to pour out your spirit, not just in church, but outside of the four walls of the church. Are you with me? And I started, I started to say, God, it, it's not supposed to be this way. That was the, the phrase that wouldn't leave my brain. It's not supposed to be this way. And it started to poke at the assumptions and contempt into my heart about the entertainment industry and about society. That, well, this is just the way it always is, and this is the way it's always going to be, and it's just going to get worse. But God started to speak to me about his desire to redeem people in the industry and to restore the arts. Because God is the original storyteller. Amen? He is the creator. And all storytelling, all narrative, it all comes from him. And he created storytelling in all of its forms. How many of you know theater or film or writing or physical presentation is just a type of storytelling? It's just a, it's just a form. Are you, are, are you guys tracking me? And God wants to restore and redeem the art of storytelling so that we can see stories that honor him and please him come out of the entertainment industry. And so um, God sort of put on my heart that, and I remember uh, journaling about God telling me to go to Hollywood and to use acting as a vehicle to get in the industry and to share the gospel to people in Hollywood. And when I first started to hear that from God, I rejected it. I, I, I suppressed it because the way I was raised, I was raised in a pretty conservative Assemblies of God church in Tucson, Arizona. I was raised like, the pastor was like, you better not go to the movie theaters because if the rapture happens while you're in the theater, he ain't coming in there to get you. And we would all laugh. <laughs> I hope he's not serious. And, um, but I was kind of raised like that. And I was just raised like, Jesus, come back any minute. Don't have anything to do with the world. Be separate from the world. Be separate from the world. Be separate from the world. And how many of you know word is be separate from the world, but there's another piece of the equation. So I suppressed it when God was trying to speak to me. And then 
to, to get my attention, he wouldn't leave me alone about it. Brian, I want you to go to Hollywood. I want you to do something you've never seen done before. I want you to go to a place that you've never been to, and I want you to do something that you haven't thought of for yourself. And I kept suppressing it, but God kept confirming it and bringing, to, bringing it to my attention. So I would, you know, I'd be flying on an airplane. I remember flying from Kansas City, Missouri to Pennsylvania to preach, and I sat on the plane next to, like, the one person on the plane that worked in Hollywood. I was talking to that person. They said, I work in the entertainment industry. And I was like, what are the odds of that? That flight itinerary. I was like, you're lost. And, um... And, and then I would, I would finish preaching somewhere, and people would start to say to me, you need to be in Hollywood, and nobody had said that to me before. Just confirmation after confirmation until finally a woman came up to me. I was at a prayer service after a, a chapel service at the college I went to because I used to go there and still pray. And I was minding my own business. I was up in the balcony, and a, a, a woman came up to me. I didn't even know her name. She said to me, Brian, I want to share something with you from God that he just spoke to me that I need to share with you. Is that okay? And I said, Sure. And she said, Brian, God is telling you to go somewhere and to do something that you've never seen done before. It's not from you. You need to stop doubting. You need to go. God is sending you. She just looked at me and said that. She read my mail. And all the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Whoop. And I knew it was God. How many of you know if that happened to you, you would know it was God. And right after that, all the confirmation, all the little, the little signs and stuff stopped. It was done. And I knew that I was supposed to go to L.A., and I was looking for a place to stay in Los Angeles on Craigslist. I need to find a place. Don't try to find a place to stay in L.A. on Craigslist. I was like, scroll. I'm like, I'm going to get shot there. I'm going to get stabbed there. 420 friendly. I don't know what that means. And, um, and while I was, like, looking and doing it, because I, I didn't know a single person in L.A., I didn't have a job lined up, and I had never been there before. And while I was looking for a place to stay, the Holy Spirit said to me, I don't want you to find a place to stay. Stop looking. I just want you to go. And I got in my car. I was 23 years old. I sold everything that I owned that wouldn't fit in my car. And I packed up my 2002 Hyundai Elantra, and I drove from Springfield, Missouri, where I was living, down to Texas to preach a couple times and over to L.A. And I remember getting to L.A. on a Tuesday afternoon. It was like 3 p.m., and I parked my car in the middle of the city, and I got out, and I put quarters in the meter, and I hadn't grown up with that in Tucson, Arizona. I put like 37 quarters in the meter. It gave me like 16 minutes. And um, L.A. parking is insane. It drove me crazy. And um, I got out of my car, and I had my Bible. It was actually this Bible. And I went to a nearby park, and I sat down on a bench, and I looked up. I had no idea where I was going to sleep that night. I didn't know what I was going to do the rest of the day. I just had my car and my toothbrush and some clothes. You know what I mean? And I looked up and I said, God, here I am. You love this city. What do you want to do? And I don't have time to go into the whole story, but that was a Tuesday afternoon. By Thursday, I had crazily met somebody and got uh, involved in a church, and I found a home, a family to stay with. Um, I had met an agent, somebody that connected me with an agent friend of his, got signed with an agent, and was going on auditions within like 48 hours. I didn't have a headshot. I didn't have a resume. I didn't know what SAG stood for. I was going out to LA. Everybody's like, well, make sure you join SAG when you're, you're out there. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. I like wearing a belt. I'm good. No thanks. And I, because I had never been, I had never been exposed to the industry. But God had miraculously provided all of those things as a way of saying to me, Brian, I have you here. And how many of you know 
God is not looking for the, for the wisest and the strongest. He is looking for the foolish and the weak. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he used the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You don't need to wait, or you're not supposed to wait, until you have it all together and you have a perfect plan. God just wants you to say yes. And when you say yes to him, when you go, he will take care of you. God is a good God, and it's wonderful to serve the King of Kings. And God has a calling on each and every one of your lives. Every one of you has a calling from the foundation of the earth. And it's the calling to go and to win the lost and to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, and pastors, and evangelists, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Some of y'all familiar with that passage. Who does the work of the ministry? Is it pastors Dwight and Wanda? No, they equip you to go out and to do the work of the ministry to win the lost. And so, and so God has a calling on your life, and there's a burden, there's something in his heart that God wants to share with you. What is the thing that keeps you up at night? What is the thing that you're living for right now? And if it's not something that's connected to God's heart, it's time for us to repent and say, God, I want you to come share your heart with me. Because how many of you know we're given one life to live? We get one shot, and then it's over. There are no do-overs, no mulligans, no restarts. You and I get one life that the Bible says in James 4 is like a vapor that's here one moment and gone the next. And God's heart for that little tiny vapor of this life is to make as much of an impact for the kingdom of God as we possibly can. That's it. That's what God wants for your life. And God is trying to wake up and stir the American church to capture his heart once again for the lost. And so, um, so that's what I've been out um, in the industry doing. And I lived out in L.A. for seven years doing that, being on sets of TV shows and movies and commercials and stuff like that. And um, whenever I'm on set as an actor, whenever I book a job, I'm there to do an excellent job. How many of you know we as Christians, we've been called to walk in excellence, right? Um, Paul says in Colossians 3 that when you work for someone, work as to the Lord and not for people. Amen? So, so whenever I'm on set, I'm not there to just try to Bible thump or, you know, whatever. I'm there to do a good job and to be excellent, but I'm also there to show the love of God and to be salt and light. How many of you know we're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? And when you're a light, a city on a hill, it's not supposed to be hidden. Somebody doesn't take a lamp in a room and put it under a basket. Where do they do? Their goal is to take that light and to put it at the highest point in the room so that it gives light to everybody in the place. You and I are called to walk in the power and the glory and the presence of God to shine a light as bright as we can in the midst of a dark world. And it's easy to do the opposite. As Christians, it's easy to curse the darkness. Anybody can curse the darkness. It's easy to talk about the liberal elites and the wickedness in Hollywood and the pagans and, and um, you know, the transgender agenda and all that. It's easy to curse the darkness. It's easy to talk about Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and AOC 
but we haven't been called to curse the darkness. We've been called to pierce the darkness with the light of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead so that we could get saved and have our own separate little club that never interacts with the world. He rose from the dead and filled you with his spirit so that you could go into the world and disciple nations. We are called to disciple the nations because when the gospel comes into a nation, when it comes into a business or an industry or a family, everything gets lighter. Everything gets better when it's touched by the love of God. And all of you can attest to that. And I can too. Um, I want to show you a clip just for fun, just because I, you know, I walked in and just got to see so many familiar faces, even though it's been a long time. But I just want to show you a clip of just a few things I've been a part of um, out in um, L.A. and more recently in, in um, Atlanta. Hey, 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 gorgeous. Mm-mm. Tell me a pretty girl like you doesn't have a date. Actually, I do. His name's Popcorn Shrimp, and he gets really jealous. Scram. You guys hear you're fluent in German, Korean, and Swahili. Yeah, yeah, deal. Well, I hope you're fluent in the most important language, Fallon Carrington. our dream kitchen we wanted it to be a place we'd spend more time together but after choosing the Frigidaire professional collection now we're spending more time just staring at it yep the Frigidaire professional collection impossible to ignore two player mode sure to the rhythm ready one two three four we steady ready I know um, a lot of you are uh, really scared and intimidated by me because of my uh, boxing skills. Conor McGregor reborn, um, obviously. Um, I, just, I wanted to show you that just because those are some of the projects that I work on. And God is raising up a lot of men and women to go into the industry and to do those things. Not just as actors, but writers, producers, and directors. And, and I want to ask you and plead with you to pray. We need an outpouring of the Spirit of God in the entertainment industry. And God wants to change the kind of movies and TV shows that are made, but it's more than that. He wants to love on the people in that industry who have created of their own will, mind you, but they've created a bubble of insulation around them to protect them from any exposure to the gospel. But we need to understand that... The, Industry professionals, the people who work in the industry, like anybody else, are men and women made in God's image. And he loves them. And 
in the church, we become guilty of being like the world in terms of consuming these people as products. We consume their social media and we follow their stories. And right now, Britney Spears is back in the media because of her documentary on Netflix about the conservatorship and all that drama with her dad. And everybody's talking about it and, tr- and it's trending. And some of you are like, I don't know anything about that. I've just been on my boat fishing. That God bless you. And um, But but it's it's so widespread. And I see it even among Christians that we look at somebody like Britney Spears or the latest celebrity to have some kind of episode or, you know, the, you know, who Ben Affleck is married to, and we're consuming it as entertainment, you know, um, and, and, and God doesn't consume them as entertainment because he doesn't see them as products. He sees them as a sought-out prized possession. He wants Ben Affleck to be saved. He wants Britney Spears to be saved. And um, I remember when I was in uh, college, The Dark Knight had just come out, uh, the Batman movie with Christian Bale, and Heath Ledger played the Joker. And right before it came out at that time, it, uh, Heath Ledger t- uh, took his own life. And it was connected to some of some of his prep for the role as the Joker. A lot of you remember this story. It was huge in the news. And I, I heard about it in my dorm room. And I, I, my heart broke because, you know, he's, he's separated from God forever. And my heart broke, and I, I left my dorm room to go to the cafeteria to have dinner, and I started walking next to a guy, a friend of mine from the same dorm, and he said, hey, did you hear about Heath Ledger? I was like, yeah, I just heard about it. And he was like, yeah, man, isn't that a bummer? And I said, yeah. And he's like, they're going to have to figure out who's going to play Joker in the next movie. And I just, I didn't say anything. I didn't take that as an opportunity to get mad or whatever, but, but, but the Holy Spirit said to me, Brian, that is an indication of something greater. That we as the church have brought in a mixing of the culture of the world. And it's affected the way that we see people in L.A. And it's easy to lump all of them in as Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood is wicked. Or now I'm in Atlanta where the entertainment industry is exploding. The state of Georgia offers um, a 30% tax credit for all filming in the state. And labor regulations and taxes in California are causing a mass exodus of the industry out of California. I don't know if you know about that. And not just the industry, but people are leaving California by the droves. And they're, um, they're moving. Production companies are moving to Atlanta. And I get way more auditions and way more bookings in Atlanta than, than I ever did in L.A. For, for those reasons. But when we talk about Hollywood or Atlanta, which is nicknamed Yollywood, the Hollywood of the South and all that, It's easy to lump them in with some liberal agenda, but God doesn't see them as a lumped-in industry. He sees each and every individual as a lost sheep that the shepherd is going after. He is leaving the 99 to go after the one. And when we lose sight of God's heart, even for the wicked to be saved, we forget the fact that God forgave us when we didn't deserve to be forgiven. Do you remember what it was like before you got saved? That you and I were objects of his wrath and every one of us deserved hell. But God loved us and he sent his son. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And just as he died for you, he died for them. And... um. 
we're, we're, we're getting it twisted, especially in the last couple of years, this message has been coming to me about how the way that we see each other is getting warped. And we're starting to, to, we've put on a different lens through which we view one another. When we go to the grocery store or we're on vacation or, you know, we go to the bank or whatever, we're starting to see people by markers that the world has put on them as mask or anti-mask, COVID or anti-COVID. The political division of this country goes way back, but in the last six years, it has come to a boiling point. And we see men and women, mask, no mask, COVID, no COVID, liberal, Democrat, conservative, Republican, pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-flag, anti-flag, etc., etc. And what it does is when you see people through those lenses, it keeps you from seeing through God's lens. And we're supposed to carry around that lens that God wants to give us so that when you see someone, you don't see them as a Democrat or a Republican or, uh, you know, any of those labels. You see them as a future child of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Now, The Greek word there that Paul uses for imitators is the Greek word mimetes. And here's what what mimetes means. It's a word that Paul borrows from the theater world of the first century. The, The Greek word mimetes was used to describe a theater performer. Did you know that? Who would take on the likeness of someone else on stage. So he's saying, just as an actor or performer... It's their job to take on someone else's likeness. It's your job to take on the likeness of God. Um, You know, some of my favorite actors, um, Daniel Day-Lewis, who played Abraham Lincoln in the movie Lincoln um, years ago, if you saw that, great film. He um, spent months out in the wilderness by himself um, preparing for the role of Abraham Lincoln, learning to talk like him, think like him, learning to look like him, changing his diet, um, changing the way he stood, the posture of his neck. He talks about an interview, all of those things so that he would no longer be Daniel Day-Lewis. But when you watched him in the film, the goal was to get the audience to look at that and say, I'm not watching Daniel Day-Lewis trying to be Abraham Lincoln. I'm watching Abraham Lincoln. Is everybody tracking? That, you know, he talks about his process. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying you're to study God. What does he look like? How does he sound? What does he talk like? How does he think? And you're supposed to take on that DNA so much so that it consumes your entire being. You know, the entire time that he was on set of that film, he never got out of character. And the actors in the movie who played the um, politicians and leaders who opposed him during that time, he never met them. He never talked to them because he wanted to create that tension in the scene. And, and I think about someone like that, dedicated to that craft, 
dedicated to becoming like someone just for the sake of an Academy Award. Are you with me? How many of you know all of our awards, all of our prizes, all of our plaques, all of our Oscars are gonna burn. They're all gonna be forgotten. But you and I, you and I are not on stage performing for a temporary crown. We are running our race for a crown that will last forever that we will lay down at the feet of Jesus. And, and here, here's my point. Here's my point. If Daniel Day-Lewis goes through that much effort to become Abraham Lincoln, how much more should you and I make it our life's mission day in and day out to walk with God and to experience his presence and allow his glory and goodness to change us? Are you with me? That's what we're called to do. And I made up my mind a long time ago before going into the entertainment industry. I made up my mind a long time ago what I would do and not do as an actor, the standards that I have, and I made up my mind that I would never bow my knee to the altar of Baal, and I would never compromise my commitment to fear God for the sake of any fame. And I can tell you there are times that I have been excluded and passed over because my social media says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, directors and producers, when you're put on a veil or, or well, when, it, when it's down to just two or three people that they're considering for a role, those producers, they look at your social media. And years ago, I was like, should I take that off my Facebook that it says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe I should. And I made up my mind then, you know what? No matter how many roles I miss out on, no matter how much longer it takes for me to find my way into the industry, I will never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if you confess me in front of people, I'll confess you in front of my Father in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father. And so this journey that I've been on has taken me longer than I thought. You know, those first few days, I was like, wow, this is a cakewalk. This is going to be easy. And um, God has taken me on a journey in L.A. and uh, Atlanta to work on me, to make sure the character and the perseverance is in me so that what God wants to give me, I'll steward well. And God, some, some of you are in this room. You feel like you're not operating in the fullness of your calling. You feel like you're in the wilderness. You feel like the Israelites going around Mount Sinai again. And you're like, God, have you called me? What am I supposed to be doing? with my life, I want you to know now is not the time to grow weary and lose heart. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. But we've got to go back to capturing God's heart. And um, I see so many examples of the Christian community at large missing the mark on how God sees the world. You know, I, I look on Facebook and I see Christians posting memes and stuff and pictures of Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, you know, at their worst. And, you know, um, the, the political ranting and raving on social media. And every post gets the same five likes. It's like the same five people clicking like and the same comments each post. And, and when we do that, when we turn our, our social media into that, it shows that we're not seeing them the way that God made them. Let me ask you a question. When you post on social media about politicians or celebrities and you, and you write those things, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you wept in intercessory prayer for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to be saved? When was the last time you called Nancy Pelosi's name before the throne of God? 
When was the last time we said that we were going to stand in the gap for the latest celebrity that gets dragged through the media and said, God, I love them too. And we're called to change the way we think. Amen. And look, social media is not bad. I'm not here to drag anybody that like talks about politics on social media. I'm asking you though to search your own heart. And I'm asking you, what is the thing that keeps you up? What do you love talking about? Do you love talking about politics? Is, is, is your favorite slogan for your life, don't tread on me? I, I love guns. Are, are you pro-gun? Awesome. Are you pro this and that? Awesome. But how much more should we be pro the kingdom of God and about our father's business? Because don't tread on me doesn't bring people with us to heaven. It's the power of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to keep our Pledge of Allegiance. I love what happened up here. I pledge allegiance to the flag. We're going to keep our 4th of July celebration. I complimented a lot of you on the t-shirts that you're wearing, the couple that's twinning with the American flag t-shirt. I I love it. Don't change it, right? But get, get the priorities where they need to be. Is everybody with me? And, and God is calling us in the midst of all the turmoil that's happening back to the prayer closet to pray and to fast again for this nation to be saved. I will never give up on the industry being saved, on people like Steven Spielberg and Jonah Hill getting saved. I'll always be crazy enough to believe for it. Say, Brian, are you a, you know, you're kind of an idealist. You're kind of an optimist. I'm a realist. Brian, I've been around twice as long as you. You're, you'll change your mindset a little bit. I'm not an idealist or a realist or an optimist or a pessimist. I am a Bible-believing Christian, and I want the Bible to be as true in my life as it is on paper. And here's, here's what I mean by that. I, you know, Ezekiel chapter 18, let me give an example. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, the Lord asks a question. He says, do I take any delight in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And just so that there's no theological ambiguity, just so that we can't try to do our theological gymnastics to try to spin the answer to the question the way we want, God answers the question for himself. How many of you know when God asks a question, he's not looking for an answer? <laughs> he is the answer, Okay. God answers the question in verse 32. He says, I take no delight in the death of anyone, not even the wicked. Repent and live. And we need to fill our mouths with the words of life and not the words of death. When you see people that look differently from you, you speak life. You don't speak death. You go after the lost. You love the unloved. You sit next to the people that no one else sits next to. Jesus spent so much of his time in his three and a half years of earthly ministry ministering to people who had been written off by Jewish culture. Can you imagine the woman with the issue of blood? Do you know why she wanted to be healed of the issue of blood? 
it, it, was, for, it was for physical um, healing, yes. But do you know what was true about the woman with the issue of blood according to Leviticus? If you had an issue like that, you were considered unclean and you weren't allowed to touch anybody or you made them unclean and you weren't allowed to go near the temple courts to worship. You were unclean. So she had an issue of blood, but in Jewish culture, the Pharisees never let her near the temple courts. And she wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment to be cleansed so that she could be brought near to God. Can you imagine going your whole life as that woman? Can you imagine going your whole life as a leper, never being hugged, never having anybody shake your hand or kiss your cheek, never having anybody wash your feet? And yet Jesus, before he healed the lepers, he touched them to show us that you don't wait till someone gets healed to touch them. You reach out first and you proclaim healing and salvation and deliverance. Can you say amen? And I believe with all my heart as the worship team comes as I close, I believe that all, in all, with all my heart that if we as the church can recapture God's heart for the lost, that is when God pours out his spirit. That is when his power comes and manifests in signs, wonders, and miracles. The majority of miracles are supposed to happen on the front lines of evangelism. That's where they're supposed to happen. And you've been such a, a faithful church, seeing this church grow and explode. You know, I, I'm not just talking about the building, but, you know, Pastor Dwight has been pastoring for 17 years. He was just mentioning it to me out in the foyer that it started as a church of like 14 people. And here you are. Look at this place. And, lo and look at how many people are here. Some of you are like, I was here 10 years ago, and I have a hard time recognizing half the people are here. And I want to commend you for that, just as Paul commended the Philippian church. But I urge you much more now, more than ever, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out a heart for the lost. And when you do that, you're going to find out that the work that you have or the, the education that you're in is going to take on a whole different meaning. Do you know that the job you have, the, the, the career that you're in, the education that you have, your, your family, your extracurricular activities, do you know that when you sell out to his heart, all those things take on a completely different meaning? When you fall in love with the things that God falls in, lo in love with, no one will have to convince you to reach out to people. No one will have to convince you to give to missions. Nobody will have to bribe you or manipulate you or guilt you or, or whatever into it. And the way to do that is to remember God's love for you. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. I am in the industry and continuing to persevere and refusing to give up because God didn't give up on me. I remember I booked a uh, job as a, um, uh, not, uh, yeah, a model for an online clothing company. Um, the photographer has to shoot models in, a, in racks of clothes and then gets posted on the website. And I remember um, go, going there and um, they would hire me as a model and the photographer was Buddhist. He was from Taiwan. And he asked me about my life and we would just get to know each other because for two or three hours, I'm just changing clothes, getting in a new outfit, blah, blah, blah. There's just a lot of dead time and stuff. And it came up that I was a Christian. 
And, you know, I told him that and he didn't like it. He, <laughs> he wasn't a fan. How many of you know we need to be willing to speak up and step out and risk getting persecuted and mistreated for the sake of Christ? Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you're reviled and mocked and people ridicule you, ridicule you because in the same way they treated the prophets before. How many of you know when you get persecuted, you're in good company? You're in Jesus' company. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because when you make it your mission to win the lost, you are going to face resistance. And the alternative is, I don't ever want to face resistance, so I guess I'll just kind of wait until somebody else comes up and talks to me. My friend, don't wait. Talk to that coworker. Be a bold and loving witness. So I brought it up, and he, you know, kind of pushed it aside. We kept, you know, he kept bringing me back uh, every few weeks for a new whatever. And um, we kept talking about soccer because we both love soccer. I played in college, and he grew up playing. And um, after about a year of these jobs, he stopped uh, booking me. Their company moved in a different direction, stopped posting online stuff. And um, I hadn't heard from him from a while. Usually he would text me out every four weeks, hey, are you available for this? And he stopped, I, I hadn't heard from him. And, um, but, but all those times he would keep bringing it up. He would ask me questions here and there about Christianity. So about a year goes, and I get a message from him. It had been a while. And usually when he texts me, I was like, oh, it's, it's him. I guess I'm, I'm going to be working again. Woohoo! You know, like, dude, actors get so many auditions. Every time they book something, it's like they win the lottery. Pray for us. And um, I was like, yeah. And, um, but I, I read the text, and it wasn't about modeling. It was a text that I would have rather received more than a thousand times to be invited to be a model. He said, hey, Brian, I just want you to know that my wife and I, we just gave our lives to Jesus and we just got baptized and I want to thank you for sharing the gospel with me and I want to invite you to our church. He got saved and I went to his church, uh, me and my wife, we went to his church and there he was in the back videoing the service, lifting his hands in worship. And that, how, listen, that's how the gospel is supposed to work. And who would have ever thought that modeling a bunch of stupid clothes for an online website could lead to someone getting saved? But if God can use a donkey to rebuke Balaam, some of you know that story, he can use this guy. Amen? And if God can use this guy, he can use you. Are you open to the move of God's presence? that he wants to see happen in this place, in this city, in this town, in this region. Like the brother said um, when he was taking up the offering about people who are broken and addicted and bound. How many of you knew we are overdue for a move of God? It starts right here. When we get this house in order, that's how his presence flows out into the community. We don't wait for the world to shape up. We shape up first, amen? We get rid of the sin in this body 
the gossip, the politics, the unforgiveness, the cliques, the sectarianism. We dump all that. We lay down all of our banners. You can still have some allegiances, but we are united under one allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God and to making his name known in all the earth.